0: Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. Super excited that you're here. This is where we talk about financial with real estate, but maybe not quite in the way that you think, which is single family house. Sorry to disappoint you, but it's actually with apartment buildings. Today's guest actually did quit his job with single family houses. Very rare bird, but now he does basically apartments full-time and he has a construction company and a super interesting experience has done a lot of different things that we're all going to bring together now before we get there I have my co-host here with me today is Garrett Lynch Garrett is director of acquisitions at Nighthawk he's got unbelievable amount of experience in his previous company built that company up to over 3,000 units built a, a property management company with 250 employees and now we're lucky to have him he's been with us for a good long while and has, uh, has sourced a bunch of awesome deals for us. Us, one that we closed six weeks ago, Sierra Place, and one that we're doing right now. So let's get uh, Garrett on the show here. Garrett, how's it going today?
1: Hey, Michael. How you doing? I'm here to co-host. I'm
0: doing, I'm doing good, <laughs> Garrett. Garrett, you know, one of the things we did at that Sierra Place deal that we closed uh, six weeks ago, a little while ago, that was like a record close, right? We, now, we always have contract extensions built in because sometimes a lender plays stupid games and, and it takes longer. And you know sometimes a raise takes so a long at that thing we closed in like how many days
1: 47 days during covid
0: during yeah. COVID, right? During COVID, where you can't get anyone to come out to the property, no <laughs> one comes on a hops in a plane. The appraisers can't come, inspectors can't come, the lender can't come. You know, now how was it possible that we were able to to close that in forty five days, forty six, seven days?
1: Yeah, if you're if you're trying to close a deal fast, well, first off, you you got to know your process and you got to know who your lender is. Right? A lot of this is dictated by the lender. That's the one part that's gonna slow you up. If you don't know who you're dealing with before you go into the deal. So we knew exactly who our lender we were gonna we were gonna go with on the deal. We had prior experience with that lender. We knew their process. If you don't know their process and you wanna use someone new, understand it before you get into it. And then hey, where are we gonna get hung up? Where could we possibly lose traction on getting this deal across the finish line if it's not done quickly? Ask that question to the lender and they'll tell you and they'll be like, you know what? We got to get third parties on site real quick. And if we can do that, we're going to be in good shape. And so I followed their lead on that. I said, all right, I might get caught in these specific areas and let's avoid that by doing them sooner because they dictate a lot of that. Now, obviously you need to have the money raise. You know, you have to have that teed up. You have to have your internal process of due diligence ready. But a lot of the, the slowness in the process is dictated by the lender that's right and this this is exactly
0: why we always have contract extensions because the delay is almost always the lender all the time and so it's it's this big unknown now we had worked with this lender before that was that was kind of a key
1: wasn't it yeah that that was a big key because we we knew what they were going to look for going into it so they usually give you like a list of documents and things that they're going to need prior to going into a deal and so it's really good practice to get that before you even get the deal under contract just get that obviously you're trying to get a term sheet early before you even get it under contract but try to get that list of items and start to work on it soon
0: the other thing we've done uh that we, we we didn't do even two years ago is we've gotten a lot more shall we say committed before we get it under contract now typically we tell our students don't get overly committed don't necessarily hop in a plane don't start putting deposits down don't start ordering appraisals because you could be wasting your time going out and doing a bunch of stuff, spending money and then you never get the deal on a contract. And we have been doing more and more of that to be more competitive, but so there's a risk. how how have we been able to mitigate the risk of still getting that deal and not spending a bunch of time and money on something that will never yeah, get Yeah,
1: so you got to you got to just look at the stuff that's going to take up your time versus what you're actually gonna spend money on. There's a lot of things you can do in the beginning that, that take up time that, if, that it's gonna upset you if you don't get that deal on a contract. But at the end of the day, you waste your time. Now time is extremely valuable, I get that. But there's things that you can pay for upfront, like putting your deposit in with your lender that costs 50 grand, that you don't have to necessarily do right at that second. But you wanna get everything ready to go leading into that so when it's time to push the button the day aka the day you go under contract you got everything ready and teed up so that's that's really a big key into that is have all your documents lined up and understand your capacity for a raise uh going into it understand what communications you're going to put out there all that stuff i think in that whatever seven to ten day window while you're getting it under contract do all that stuff
0: Yeah, that's that's right. And so actually, I mean, we did everything right. We did everything right. But at the end of the day, we didn't really know where it was going to end up with COVID. There's so much uncertainty and still a little squishiness with the lenders. We're like, not exactly sure. It worked out just well, but it's also because we had our ducks in a row as well. And then that deal, the Sierra Place deal that we closed so quickly, we used it as a tool to actually get this uh, second one in our contract that we're working on right now. Uh, and that was an off-market deal, and it's about 17 minutes away from this previous deal. And the reason we got it is this lender was trying to do a 1031 change. They need to close it before the end of the year. And we t- showed our Sierra Place closing and how quickly we did it in
1: COVID, and that was that won the deal for us. Well, it was it was almost by accident because I just wanted to close it because I know time kills deals. All deals, time kills deals. So I'm thinking this all the time and it can't be, couldn't be more true right now during COVID. I'm like, dude, time is, could kill this if we don't just beeline this across the finish line as fast as possible. And what ended up happening as a result of that is what's called luck, where preparation meets opportunity, right? Now I got this deal that we just did in 47 days and I can prove it. It just happened. Lo and behold, there's a guy that needs to, to close a deal fast. Hey, look, we're the fastest guys on the block and we just did it down the block take us don't even take this to market and that's exactly what happened so it was just it was it was coincidental but but also not coincidental right there are no coincidences right it was just yeah, that's right it was that's cool right.
0: yeah it's it's uh, it's fun that grows this business uh, uh, garrett we have a full-time asset manager and we just have a full-time uh, director of investor relations it's really cool and speaking of scale the guest we have on the show today is uh, is george abrio that's abrio. It, right garrett Abrio. There you go. Okay. Thank you for keeping me straight on that. <laughs> George has got an amazing career and he's really scaled up. He scaled up from the single family house world. He's flipped over 200 houses. He's wholesaled a hundred properties. He's done some ground up construction, about $8 million worth actually. And uh, today he controls as general partner about over 1700 units and he owns his own construction company. And we talk about why he started off doing this and how he shifted and how he's scaling his company. And so we want to find out more about that because there's a lot of lessons learned that he shares with us as well. Uh, before we get into that, speaking of lessons learned, you can learn so much from these experienced syndicators like George or or Garrett. And we have over half a dozen wor- uh, working with us full time syndicators that are acting as mentors, coaches for our students. And you have a chance to work one on one with them. If you value mentorship, then check out our mentoring program It's called the investor incubator. And you can find out more at the forward slash mentor. Just check out what we have there. Check out our mentors, watch the video. And if you feel called to do so, schedule a strategy session with us and see if it's the right thing for you. That's at michaelblank.com forward slash mentor. I just learned yesterday that we have uh, two of our students did their first deal as well. Uh, We actually put them together in partnership, which is very common in our our ecosystem to put people together in partnership. Uh, So I'm really excited about that. So check that out if you value mentorship and you want to accelerate your goals and avoid some of the bigger mistakes. So with that, let's get right into the interview with George. Let's do this. You're
1: listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block.
0: Hey, George. Welcome to the show today. Thank you. I'm excited. So we're going to get into your story, but give us a little background on, your, on yourself, two minutes or so, and just give us an idea of who you are, what you've done, and then we're going to get into it because you've done a lot of really cool things.
2: Absolutely. So um, I'll give you the, the shorter version. I started with single family real estate about uh, 15 years ago. I was in college studying to be an electrical engineer. Knew I didn't want to be an engineer. Knew I wanted something else. And that's when I discovered real estate investing and finally ended up doing enough deals on the single family investment side where I quit my W-2 engineering position. I then started doing a lot of uh, single-family fix and flips, wholesales. Uh, I did some small multifamily properties and started doing some new development as well. started a construction company about 11 years ago, and that was to scale my fix and flips. It worked well. I was able to get to about 45 homes a year or so. But then about four years ago, I was introduced to multifamily syndications, and that really caught my attention you know to that point i had built a successful contracting company i had built the single family investments but it was very transactional didn't have that cash flow coming in i didn't feel like i was building that generational type wealth and looking at multifamily syndications and buying these large multifamily properties i felt like i can do that doing that so i became extremely passionate about it i Turned all my focus towards multifamily, and um, that's where I'm at now. You know, um, after this month should be at about two thousand doors, and looking to get to ten thousand as soon as possible.
0: That is fantastic. That's awesome. Hey, so you were exposed to real estate early on in college. Is that? Did I hear that right? Correct. How did that happen? Because I was doing other things in college, and it wasn't real estate.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was towards the end <laughs> of college, and. I started, uh, you know, I knew I got it in my head where I didn't want to be an engineer. I just knew I didn't want to do that, and I started doing some research and going to bookstores because that's what we had back then—not the internet and stuff. And I kept coming across researching successful individuals, and they had real estate investing either that had built their wealth or they had built more wealth with it. I kept going back to real estate investing, and that's what got me interested.
0: So wait a minute. So you don't want to be an engineer, which I'm completely offended by because I was an engineer. Though, in your defense, I really didn't think too much about my job. I was like, I need a job. Uh, I just got to pay the bills and, and engineering at the time as is today. Just you, know, you make a lot more money. So I was like, I'm just going to go that way because I'm pretty good with computers and math. And so I wasn't even thinking about now. Wh- what led you to think about not a traditional career path, because you're surrounded by friends, family, people around you who obviously the next thing after college is either more college or a job. What made you even think about something besides a job?
2: You know, I wish there was this moment that, yeah, that happened. <laughs> That's you what know, I'm there's... looking
0: for, George. Know, moment, the flash.
2: The only thing I can think of, and I've, and I've been asked this question before, and you know, growing up, I was around, most of my uncles own their own company. And actually, a couple of them have construction companies. So, I mean, I, I was around that and maybe it, it just kind of rubbed off and I just felt like I needed to start my own company. Well, you had role
0: models, it sounds like. I mean, I, I never had an entrepreneur around me when I was growing up. I don't even know it existed. Like the only thing I saw was my dad and my similar relatives and they all had jobs. I think role models are really important just in anything in life, because without mm-hmm. role models, you're limited by your own reality, really. And if you don't see something, you have to be super creative to say, well, there should be something like it. I haven't seen it before, but I'm sure it exists somewhere. Uh, I'm that kind of guy, right? And a lot of people struggle with that, which is also why it explains why we have, I think, so few women in the business, even minorities in the business, there's just not a lot of role models. But you had role models in the entrepreneurial space, and it's at least it sounded like it was okay for you to at least think about
2: it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was enough, I guess. You know, even thinking back, one of my one of my uncles actually owned apartments. You know, I wasn't around it that much, but it it was there. I guess I knew it existed, or the opportunity was there.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, go ahead, Garrett. Going into that a little bit, so you, you know, you got out, you got your feet wet in the in the business, and then you you had to scale it. And I think I have to imagine that you know there was some pain around that process. Talk to us a little bit about that. What what did you go through? You know, you're getting into the business. You're like, man, I see this is working. I want to make it bigger. What kind of problems do you run into in a single family space trying to scale that business?
2: I mean, it, it's definitely been a roller coaster. So, you know, I decided I quit my job and decided to do full time real estate. It was probably around 2006. So then 2008 came. So I had to weather that storm. And that's actually what I'm born and raised in South Florida. And that's what had me move to Dallas was, um, I wanted to keep doing real estate and South Florida was hit too hard at that time to even touch it. So that was one. And then once I got things going here in, in, in Dallas, it was the scaling, like you're saying, you know, how do you do this? One of the issues I ran into in the beginning was if I wanted to scale the fix and flips was having a good contractor. I got burned twice, pretty bad. <laughs> and that second time just that made me want to start my, my own construction company. So That was a hard lesson. And then um, creating systems, you know, I, I think there wasn't an exact. So as I started scaling, I had the construction company. So I realized that there's only so much one individual can do or manage. And then that's when I started focusing more and more on building out the systems so that I'm not the only one that knows how to do something.
0: I want to get back into scaling, uh, but before, before we get there, so you were able to quit your job flipping houses, right? Is that, that's what you, which you, which, which by the way, you're one of the very few people that is able to do that probably because of the scale that you've had, how were you able to quit your job flipping houses and, and uh, what kind of scale did you have and what kind of systems did you have in place where you felt, felt comfortable in doing that?
2: You know, the the time of the market probably helped a little bit too. <laughs> it was right before the recession, right? Yeah. So we were doing wholesales, quite a bit of wholesale deals. And then at the same time, cherry picking the best ones and, and doing those as fix and flips. We didn't have too many systems, to be honest with you at that time. Hmm. I mean, we had a, a decent amount of marketing going um, and leads coming in, but it didn't take much for me to leave my W2. How
1: <laughs> I mean, many? What kind of volume?
2: Kind of volume. Ah, man, you're making me go way back. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was probably a consistent, maybe maybe six months consistently of making enough money where I felt like I was losing money by being at my W-2 job, that I could be putting that time towards the investments and make more. That doesn't exactly answer the question, but...
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I first flipped a couple houses back in 2000, right, right before the recession, I made as much money in those two house slips as I did in my entire job. It, just, it was like a huge eye-opener for me. Of course, it was, it was quite a bit of work, and I had to pay a lot, lot of taxes, but that was beside the point. <laughs> so you said, um, so for, because of the recession, you moved from Florida to Dallas. Now, did you have to start completely over from scratch in Dallas, uh, or, or how did you transfer your business from one to another?
2: I mean, from scratch, Yeah.
0: Talk a little bit about that because I know I know you knew how to do it but you're still starting something you know, your whole marketing starts over from scratch your whole uh, people personnel starting from scratch like what did that entail
2: A lot of time and effort but um nah it was <laughs> yeah it was crazy man we we got here so my partner and I decided to to make the move so we rented out a house and it had a, a big room in the back and that was pretty much our office and then from the second we got here, we knew somebody that had made the similar move about a year ago before. So we met with them and, and they were doing pretty good and we saw what they had going on. So every day we were, we were networking. Every day we were out networking. We we're at every single uh, real estate association meeting. We just started building that list from scratch. Like you said, you know, every uh, sign in the ground that had a number, we were calling that number and, and, and getting their information and building the list.
1: So we see you at like you're at everything. You're at every real estate events. And so I have to think that you know in the multifamily space now I have to think that we're kind of going back to your beginnings that you know networking is a very important part of the business. Talk to us a little bit about that. How how has it helped you and what and what is your strategy around around your networking and, yeah. and building your contacts.
2: I'm glad you you brought that up. I actually so that is how I built both companies, right? The construction company and the real estate investing was through networking and, and, and building those relationships. Down that road or that journey, I kind of lost that. I stopped going to networking events. I stopped educating myself and I got so involved in the, the day-to-day. But when I got into multifamily, I realized that was going to be even more important than it was in single family. So I had done it before I knew the steps that I needed to take which was pretty much go to everything, you know, you you're building a list <laughs> from scratch, you got to go to everything and meet everybody you can. You know, I am strategic about it. I'm not just getting everybody's business card, but
0: why, why did you say it was even more important than the multifamily? What now, why did you why did you have to network with multifamily and how did that help you?
2: It's more of a a team game in in multifamily um than it is single family. It's a lot easier to just close on a, on a house by yourself than it is $50 million property. So that's why I say that, you know, you're going to have to meet some partners. You're going to have to build a team. And like myself, we, we have a lot of co-GPs on our deals that, that we partner with. So it's, it's really important. See, so
1: you have the team right now, you got partners, you got a, a good sized system going. Do you still go to every event? What are you taking away now Versus, you know, maybe, maybe in the beginning, you know, you're trying to get that network going. What is like your, what are you looking for now when you go?
2: Now it's just building stronger relationships. Um, you see the, some of the same individuals. I mean, you you always meet new people too, but just building that stronger relationship. Like every time I, I see you out there, you know, we get to build on our relationship and and hopefully partner on a deal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now you said you have a partner for your single family houses and your, it sounds like you ha- your partners are in the multifamily. What talk about your partners? Why did you partner and what do you what's the value of those partners? How do you split up your your roles a little bit?
2: Yeah, um, so you know I, I, one of the reasons I decided to go the multifamily route and and put all my focus towards this is because I want more time, right the freedom and, and time to spend with my family to do that. it needs to be built like a business. it can't just be a solo entrepreneur. I've done that and it, it just takes a lot of time out of your life. So that's the reason to have a, a partner is to, to build the, the business. Um, not that you need a partner to build a business, but it, you can divide those roles and um, do it quicker. Mainly as far as our roles, you know, I'm, I'm usually the, the visionary in the company trying to direct what path we're going to go in. And then my partner, Eric, is more of the the implementer, the one that is in the day-to-day, making sure we execute that vision that I have.
0: Yeah, I see you have the book Traction behind you, and therefore you're losing the words visionary and integrator, or implementer, as you said. (laughs) That's actually. I lost you for a little
2: bit on the sound. Oh this you really yeah you're I was like you have the, off for like two seconds. You have the
0: uh you have the book traction behind you uh yep. what the yeah is talk a little bit about that and your, and how you're using it in your business.
2: Yeah, I, I got introduced to that book maybe right around the same time that I decided to make the the move to multifamily and um it's been huge um just being able to put a system of how you run your business together from our weekly meetings to, to our goals, it helps track it all and keep everybody in line and on the same page. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's been massive.
0: Compare multifamily because that's what you're doing now to other stuff you've done, like just some pros and cons. Cause you've done a lot of stuff when, you know, arguably you've built a pretty significant business uh, around single family houses and wholes uh, wholesaling and then a construction company. So you, know, you kind of talk about how multifamily is, you know, different or similar maybe which one you like better.
2: You know, the thing that I like about multifamily is if you're able to build a solid portfolio of multifamily properties, there's a lot more you can do with that. You can branch into other companies or bring in other companies in-house. I've always kind of had that, even with the single family, you know, the idea of of starting my own construction company was one to take care of our flips, but to also be able to offer that service to other investors. So I feel like in multifamily, there, there's so many different ways you can go with it.
1: So how many projects are you guys working on at any given time? Because you guys are doing your own stuff in the, with a construction company and then you take on new clients. How do, you, how do you manage all that? Talk about that.
2: Putting together a good team. To answer the first question, as far as how many projects, you know, it, it, it depends. COVID slowed us down a little bit as far as the amount of projects, but we're, we're built to be able to take on and continue to take on more projects. I do have the luxury of being a little more picky on what, what projects we, we take on. And that's one thing I learned early on in the beginning, I'd pretty much take on anything, anything and everything. And there was no real focus. It was just like, yeah, you need a general contractor to do this. Sure, we can do it. So now it's, it's very focused. And um, if the project's not a certain size, then it, it doesn't make sense for us to waste resources on there. I don't want to say waste, but, you know, pool resources to that project. And yeah, we, we've got systems in place. If we need to bring on more project managers, we can easily do that and uh, take it from there. You talk about people a lot. Like team
0: members, and it's all about the team and partners. It's a very common theme, and I'm just wondering how are you attracting these quality team members? Can you share any kind of secret sauce to attract these team <laughs> members, and possibly even to keep them?
2: You know, to attract them, it's just putting the word out there. I, I think we haven't, we don't have a real secret sauce. You know, and anybody that knows the way we worked or or works here, they talk good as far as how we work with each other um, and then how we keep them is I always want to make sure everybody's happy and everybody's expectations as far as their expectations from us are being met continue to check in with them on it yeah just as needed
0: so you have a construction company do you guys have a property management company no have you thought about starting one
2: yeah yeah (laughs) quite a bit but um (laughs) Not yet. I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I know what it's taken to, to build a construction company and I know what it's going to take to build a good property management company. And I don't think we're there yet. You know, I mentioned 10,000 units. I think um, by then for sure.
0: So what is the consideration of a property management company? Because typically, you know, we tell our people, you know, it makes a lot of sense to third party manage. However, at a certain size, as the amount of asset management fees and property management fees gets larger, at least for us and some of our peers, property management is probably the hardest part of it uh, because maybe the properties are uh, geographically, you know, dispersed. Sometimes even within the, you have different property managers. Even within the same property manager, you have a different regional or a manager, mm-hmm. and so you get inconsistent results. And, you know, we constantly struggle with that. And so we thought about, my gosh, wouldn't it be great to start a property manager company so at least we have more control over it. It's At the end of the day, it's still a people problem, right? Because it's still all a function of the people you're bringing on. And if they don't perform, you have a problem. If they leave, you have a problem. Uh, what is the consideration that you have in, as you think about, uh, creating a property management company, why would you do it? And, and you said 10,000 units, but it's probably before then I got to say, George, you know, getting to
2: that point, yeah, getting to
0: that point. Why would you do it? And when would be the right time to do it?
2: Why I would do it is you're hundred percent right. I mean, it's just control, you know, whatever you can bring in house. Same reason I brought in the construction in house. Um, you have more control. You're able to implement your systems, your procedures. And you make sure things get done a certain way. My, my biggest thing with property management is it's all about hiring and firing. Mm. <laughs> Finding the right people, firing them when they're not. That is probably the hardest aspect of, of building any business. At Construction least, is, no, is they, no
0: different, though. Construction is, high, is kind of a high turn, even. And I was in a restaurant business, it's very high turnover, unfortunately. It's a very challenging business. What's preventing you from doing that right now?
2: Time. You know, just, I'm, I'm, I'm focused right now on, on building the portfolio and I feel like it it would take, I know it would take a, a good portion of my time.
0: I mean, Garrett, for us, I mean, we would do it only if the, if the problem becomes not only just intolerable, but you really need someone to head that up. You would, like you said, you got to bring in a team member who has maybe, well, most certainly have done it before. Right, Garrett. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's I mean, the I've thing. done it. I know, I
1: know, I know it happens. I, <laughs> yeah, know, ex- yeah. I know exactly what happens. My first business, we did it because we we just got so fed up with the third-party management companies we were using. So we're like, let's just try this. It's a challenge. It's challenging. And I would agree with you, George, that it definitely is about that HR department. I didn't even know that you needed to screen people in the beginning when we started our company. And I learned real quick <laughs> that that's what you do. You're absolutely right. It's It's do you want to take on that time to get into the whole HR side of property management. And so I would agree with you on every aspect of that for sure. Yeah.
2: I mean, even if you bring in an all-star that, that's done it and built a property management company before, um, it's still going to take some of your time. You know, you, oh. you're going to want to be on top of that. You're going to want to be checking in with them and
0: Now, why did you stick with a construction company? Because we're just talking about it is still a people business, high turnover business. Now, I know you had a construction company, a single family house, but just because you started something insane doesn't mean you have to continue it. And you (laughs) decided to continue doing it through the multifamily. Why? What problem are you solving by having your own construction company for the multifamily stuff?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, you you bring up a a great point. I debated it, whether I, I, I sell the company and go into the multifamily without the construction company. But I, I know what it did for the single family and how it helped us scale, you know, and I wanted to bring that over to the multifamily where I can feel confident, especially if I'm taking on a, a heavy, a heavy lift that I know I can do it. I've got the construction company behind me.
0: So you've been able to raise quite a bit of money, probably millions. Talk a little bit about how you're able to raise uh, progressively more capital.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that was making that switch from single family to multifamily, that was um, one thing I had no experience in. We, we had some private lenders, just a couple of them, um, and that's how we were funding our, our single family stuff. So brand new to me. I, I had to, one, I guess, um, get familiar with it. I invested passively quite a bit in the beginning to kind of just, first thing was to get a feel for it. And then once I started seeing the benefits, I now I do it all the time, but, um, and then the marketing. So I knew I had to, I knew I didn't have that database already. So I had to build a database full of accredited or sophisticated investors. I've always been good at marketing, so I didn't think it'd be an issue. Definitely had to, to ramp that up.
0: What, what do you mean by marketing? What are you talking about, George?
2: you know, the stuff you do every day. (laughs) No, just branding yourself, one, starting from scratch and just coming into the world of, of multifamily investing. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew who Elevate was. So I needed to start with the branding and then I needed to build that platform and now expanding the reach.
0: How are you doing that? Talk about the elements of your marketing.
2: So I've got a a VA that works for us full time. He does a lot of our content building and then uh, posting on our business page and, and we've got a Facebook. So platform wise, we're posting daily on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I've got my personal pages and then we've got our business page. The VA helps creating a lot of that. I still kind of manage my, my personal pages, That's social media. So then we create a funnel wherever, once we get those leads that come in, which then gets into our database, which we keep in a CRM and then we do email marketing. We need to get better as far as text. I saw you guys are doing some of that and the voicemail stuff, which is great.
0: We're tinkering, you know, tinkering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we, if we don't, you know, we're not, we, wanna, we don't want to piss people off. Correct. On the other <laughs> hand, we find that a lot of investors specifically, though the open rate is, is very high, the open rate is not 100%. And so we know a lot of people are either are not seeing the emails. And we also know that when we do a deal, then they find out that they couldn't get in. They're also pissed. Where, why didn't you let me know? Well, we did. We sent you like five emails. You didn't open yep. any one of them. I never saw it. And so we have to make sure that you know we're approaching investors from a variety of different media, and, and at one point you know determine what is their preferred medium, and then also being very sensitive to hey I'm not interested in this deal right now because I just invested in your last one or whatever, yeah. you know you know I want to stay in your list, but I, you know I'm not interested in this particular one. So implementing that functionality is important as well.
1: So how do you guys manage your lists of investors, George? You guys you guys are doing the whole funnel thing, and then do you go deep on them? Do you, do you just kind of keep it broad? Talk to us a little bit about how you manage those lists and how you get them into deals.
2: So we use active campaign. I think you guys do as well. Is that right?
0: Absolutely.
2: Yes. Okay. Um, you know, every investor, as soon as somebody joins our database, we want to speak to that investor as soon as possible and we want to get a feel for, okay, you know, why did they join our database? Um, are they looking to invest right now? Are they, just want to learn more, um, whatever it is, all that information gets put into our database, active campaign. And then we make sure to tag it, tag each person, depending on, on what their goals are. And then um, when we send out our message, we try to keep it as strategic as possible that matches with their tags. We're not 100% there yet, but we're, we're working towards it. And then, like Michael said, I mean, trying to find that, that middle ground where, where you're contacting them too much or not enough. And it, it's hard nowadays. I mean, it's hard to keep people's attention. And I know it, you know, because I'm also investing passively. Like right now, I've got a deal that I know I'm going to invest passively in. I've already made my mind up, but I keep not having time to go and fill out the application. And, and I'm not going to get upset if, if they reach out to me again. So I don't know. It's hard to, to find that middle ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're going through this right now. We have commitments and, and people are just uh, dragging their feet, logging in or filling out the sign, or wiring the money.
1: And you have to be patiently persistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, Garrett? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right on that timeline, though. If you got a tight timeline, then you're, you're trying to be very patient, but you're also like, okay, come on, guys. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> move along you push the button in your bank
0: <laughs> yep. so george what's next for for you guys and, and elevate like what's what's on a strategic horizon
2: you know we're we're exploring um like i mentioned co-gps we're exploring some different partnerships we've got other investors bringing us deals all the time and just kind of sorting through that and, and seeing which which are the best partnerships we should get into and then um you know, we go through our own deals as well and, and, and looking for deals. Right now there is a crazy amount of, of deals on the market. So I've been fine tuning our, our system for, for evaluating deals and and how to you know get through that and, and just focus on the ones that hopefully
1: will pencil out. Yeah. And going into, so like you, you, one thing you've done that's unique that I don't know if, you know, most people know about is that you've kind of cracked a little bit into the institutional side as far as like your preferred equity and stuff like that. Talk to us about how you, how you got into that and how you managed those relationships. Cause that's, I think that's pretty interesting how you guys are doing that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, we, we got lucky. We, uh, one of our co-GPs has is, is got a crazy portfolio you know they've got over 10,000 units they've exited uh i don't know i think over like 6,000 units so they they've definitely got that track record and we kind of leveraged that track record to to get in with some of these preferred lenders preferred equity partners and then once you're in with them i mean it's just building that relationship you know we're we're, we're constantly talking to them and in front of them and and kind of um seeing what their criteria is, um, as the market changes, you know, what are they looking for? And then once you have one, you know, so we just had a a call with one of our preferred equity partners last week and they're thrilled. They're pretty much ready for the next one. We've done our job and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's got its pros and cons, but I think the pro outweighs the con when, when you're trying to raise a good portion of money.
0: So as we, as as we uh, get to the end of here of uh, this has been great. I I just love your story. You've done so many different things and you're just a true entrepreneur. If you could have a conversation with your younger self, what would you tell yourself? What would you do differently?
2: Oh boy. <laughs> a lot. No. You know, one is I would uh I would encourage myself to build out the systems. You know, maybe not every single little detail, but put a little more thought into it before the craziness and before your, your business gets so busy that, um, it's hard to find the time to do it because I've been there and it's, it's rough. The other thing would be to, to skip single family and go, go straight into large multifamily.
0: Those are the two. And do you think you could have done that, uh, looking back on it right now? Could you have skipped the single families and gone right into multis?
2: I don't see why not. I don't see why not.
0: That's, that's what I'm looking for, George. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. George, has been great. Tell us how people can connect with you and Elevate.
2: You know, we've been doing a lot of updates to our website. You can find a lot of uh, free content on there. If you go to elevatecig.com, and if they want to go ahead and shoot me an email, it's the same domain, Jorge or George, J-O-R-G-E at elevatecig.com. I can send them I've got a bunch of stuff on CapEx and due diligence and also um, questions to ask a deal sponsor and some other stuff. If you can't find
1: these guys, I mean, you're you're not looking. They're everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's working on that marketing engine, George.
0: That's been awesome. George, it's been great to have you on
2: the show here. It's been awesome, guys. Thank you.
0: Man, it was kind of fun jamming with George, wasn't it? Oh, man, I had a great time. You know, some of the things that stuck out for me was, I thought it was interesting that there's only two key lessons he said that he would do differently, right? And one of them was to build systems before he got too busy. Now, this is a little contrarian because I know, you know, building systems gear is a little like buying underwear. You spend <laughs> money, you go shopping, spend a bunch of time, and you really have nothing to show for it, like on the outside at least, you know? And it's like the same thing for, for systems, and it takes up a lot of time and you, you don't really feel like it's getting you anywhere. So I thought it was interesting that he identified it as a key lesson.
1: Who wants to build systems? I mean, it's not Dumb. it's not fun until you realize, Dumb. oh, shoot, this is running on its own. It's like, it's like that you know, teaching a person to fish versus fishing for them, that, that whole spin, right? It's, it's very similar to that. And so I really, that was a, a great point that George made on that. And so I think we always need to focus on that for sure another thing I took away was to keep that networking going you know it's something that I want I to say you like
0: hone in on that I, I knew you would you're, I know no you're like hustling you see him on- everywhere
1: he's all over the place you're like why is he going to everything he's such a, he does so much big stuff what's behind that you know and so I had to ask that question but he's he's a great guy so I got to know him was was through that and uh you know I loved his point on just deepening those relationships. Because realistically, when do we get to see our other peers that are that are operators out there? A lot of times it's at these events. And so I think, uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head with that. That's very, very key to use those relationships and build up. You know,
0: it's, it's hard. It's hard to network in person right now, but there's a lot of virtual uh, opportunities to network. We had some virtual network and Dealmaker Live. Uh, we have a virtual online community. We've had that for years at Dealmaker Mastermind. And in fact, uh, this is a great place to network. I was just talking to Chris Roberts, one of our mentoring students, and he was very active in our Dealmaker Mastermind community. And in so doing, he attracted another guy who brought him a deal. And and the reason he brought, him, brought Chris that deal is because he was so active in the community and he was, you know, he was answering questions. He also seemed very knowledgeable. So he chose Chris to bring that deal to. And there's so many ways uh, that you can become active and meet people in online communities as well. And of course, the other thing that he said as a key lesson, the second one in my mind, was to skip the single family house. No, duh, George. I could have told you that. (laughs) You know, I don't have to flip three hundred houses to come to that conclusion. You know,
1: but but (laughs) but but, uh, key lesson. I I feel like I'm the only person that 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 skipped that thing. I didn't do the single family thing. In fact, it it kind of repulses me and. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's, I hate to say. No, you did it. the property
0: management company,
1: though. You yeah, know, yeah. I did the uh, other. So. I did the other thing that repulses <laughs> most people is the property management company, but yeah. I, so I, w- I would say that you know that uh, flipping out of that, I was. I, I'm. I guess I'm one of the few people that have done it, but I agree with him on that for sure. Mostly because I haven't done the other side. I guess the other thing I thought that he touched on that I liked was having great partners with defined roles, and you know I've seen partnerships where people like, I'm just going to start a company with my friends. And that doesn't work because you need, you need to have partners that compliment you that do, are doing something different than you're doing. And, and that's what he has. He said that he was a visionary. His partner was the implementer, understanding that dynamic. I thought that was, that was really important.
0: Yeah, the best partnerships are exactly like that, uh, where the roles are well defined, you know, for example, I'm going to focus on capital raising, you're going to focus on whatever management operations, right? So everybody, everybody shares, and does various things but there's certain focus, certain things that people are good at, and not only are good, at but enjoy doing and that's the multifamily allows us to work into that so that's why I like it's a team sport and you can work into whatever strength you have which is just awesome so yeah this uh, it has been a great interview and uh, I know some of you guys wondering hey how do I start investing in this thing and we'd love to have a conversation with you if you're ready to invest with us check us out our investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity NighthawkEquity.com check it out I'd love to have you join our investor club and that just entails you filling out a short form and scheduling a call with us so we can have a conversation with you get to know you a little bit better and then we can share with you some upcoming opportunities uh, that we may have, and uh, we'd love to have you on board. So thanks for hanging out with us today. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themeichelblock.com. There you can also download
2: the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.